Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone. We wanted to make sure that you've heard about SpeechCube. SpeechCube is a monthly subscription box for pediatric speech-language pathologists aimed to treat the whole SLP. Each box includes five or more items following a different theme each month. Of course, it contains some kind of therapy material, but it also includes a variety of visual supports, sequencing cards, organizational items, fidgets, SLP decor, and always a personal item just for you. Subscription options include a single cube purchase, month-to-month subscription, or discounted three- or six-month subscriptions. Go to their website at speechcube.com and use our discount code, all caps TACO, to receive 12% off your first cube order. Also, check out their SLP planning notepads in their shop. These notepads are made for and by SLPs to help you replace your millions of sticky notes. Don't forget to follow them on Instagram, at speechcube. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about clay and language with our very sweet friend, Hinda. So if you haven't had a chance to take a listen, go listen and then come back. So today we have a very special guest with us, Amy Graham, who is the founder of Graham Speech. You probably know her on Instagram. Um, She's got a great social media presence and is the guru of speech sound disorders. And I know that's her passion and she's so knowledgeable about it. So we're really excited to talk with her today. Amy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, of course. Can we just start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background as an SLP and what population you currently work with? Sure. So I have been an SLP for over 20 years. Um, I started out in the schools because that's where I could get my CFY. (laughs) So that was my first job. Um, And I'm super grateful for it because, you know, you kind of have to see every um, disorder, every population that kind of comes across your caseload. Um, but that really did make me realize that my passion and my love for speech sound disorders, um, it just kind of cemented that. And so about five years ago, <clears throat> I decided to branch out and do my own private practice. Um, and then that slowly kind of evolved into a specialized practice. Um, and I just specialize in speech sound disorders. So that's really all I evaluate. It's all I see anymore. Don't even ask me to give the self. I haven't done it in a long time. You're so lucky. Um, Yeah, I know, right? It's a long one. Um, But yeah, so I specialize in speech sound disorders. I work out of my home office, which is lovely on days like today where I'm snowed in. So I can still get work done. Absolutely. Um, But that's kind of me in a nutshell. Great. Do you work with um, just pediatrics or do you see, I guess, what's the oldest client that you have? 
Yeah, I am primarily pediatric, but okay. it's interesting because there are some adults that contact me yeah. um, who have those residual articulation errors like lateral lisps. Mm-hmm. And I don't typically um, see adults, but I, I have such a heart for that because my right. sister, that's why I got into the field is because mm-hmm. um, my sister had a speech sound disorder when she was younger. And then when I went into graduate school, she was, I want to say 19 or 20, and she still had a lateral lisp that mm-hmm. after years of therapy just she could not correct it. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I, honestly, it's kind of a weird story, but after about 10 minutes of telling her where her tongue needed to go, <laughs> uh, she got it. And That's so amazing. it was up to her and she just really, she'll even tell you, she's like, really, it, I just kind of fixed itself in 10 yeah. minutes because I just was really cognizant of where my tongue goes. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's so possible too. And I get that question on Instagram all the time about, you know, is it too late for adults if I have a lisp or an mm-hmm. R issue? And my answer is always no, it's yeah. not. Um, but I do primarily work with pediatric um, patients okay. at my at my uh, practice. Great. I feel like that's so common. At least I want to say like seventy five percent of the SLPs that I know got into the field because of a family member or they themselves had. And it's usually a speech sound disorder. Like, of course, the most frequent you hear are like R's and S's and things like that. Um, right. So that's very interesting. So I guess just diving right into it, um, thinking about evaluating speech sound disorders, besides just a standardized assessment, what are some different things or tools that you implement and consider when evaluating? Well, I think the most important uh, and the often most neglected is the oral facial exam. And this, I think sometimes people think, well, it's just an R, it's just an S, it's, you know, it's just one sound, this will be quick. And then those kids are in years of therapy, not generalizing, not remediated. And we're just kind of hitting our head against a wall. And I often see these kids, they come to my practice after years of therapy that just haven't worked. And I will do an oral mech exam, oral facial exam, whatever you call it. Um, And we will find some significant deficits there um, as far as just proprioception and ability to move their tongue in the right way. And just a, a lot of things that um, I think we miss among those children who are just on our case, you know, those kids, those are kids mm-hmm. that are just in middle school still. And you're like, why are we still working on R? I was going to say, will, especially if you're in the school system, I feel like everyone has had sure. those middle schoolers, even high schoolers sometimes yes. that are still working on R. And it breaks my heart because I yeah. feel like we have missed and same here. Like I'm guilty of it too. Mm-hmm. I have missed things that could have put me in a better trajectory as far as, um, you know, therapeutic intervention mm-hmm. should, maybe should have chosen, chosen a different strategy or different, you know, different types of approaches. Um, but I think that is a huge part of all of my, um, assessments mm-hmm. and it's honestly, it takes about five to 10 minutes to do. So it's not like it's this, oh man, this big old oral mech exam. I mean, I, I created my own, um, checklist which uh, I, I sell on my website, but I really created it for myself because I wanted a really, really quick way to kind of go through and like check everything off. Did I look mm-hmm. at this? Did I look at the palate. Did I look at the pharynx? Did I look at the tongue, um, lips, all that? And so um, it's really quick to do. It just, it's a lot of things you're kind of checking off right. as you kind of look in that mouth and have them do certain tasks. Um, and I think, I think grad school kind of scares people for oral max because in grad school, um, 
grad students are kind of drilled for this oral MEC exam. That's very extensive, like very in depth. And, um, I work with grad students right now and unfortunately they haven't been able to practice the oral MEC. So it terrifies the heck out of them. We're starting to go back in person and they're all really scared to do this oral MEC. And I'm like, you guys, it's, it's really not a huge deal, right? It takes about five minutes. We just look at the structures. Um, but I think for whatever reason, um, a lot of maybe newer SLPs are just a little intimidated by it. Well, and I, there is such a wide variation of typical. Mm-hmm. Right. And so sometimes you'll see like, oh my gosh, um, this is what's happening with their palate. It's really high and narrow. Should I not do speech therapy? I'm like, no, that's not what that means. That just might mean a, be a red flag for the fact that child's tongue is low and forward rest position. Right. It right. doesn't mean you don't, you stop therapy. It's just informative as far as, oh, I wonder if this child may have a, a myofunctional disorder. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. There's all kinds of red flags you can find out in the oral mech exam. Yeah, definitely. So I guess going along with that, um, can you kind of differentiate what those, that evaluation along with your entire evaluation will tell you about diagnosing between different speech sound disorders. Um, I know the big ones obviously are articulation versus phonology versus apraxia. I know there are others, but those are kind of what we really try to differentiate between when evaluating. Right. And I think oftentimes what we'll see is very, a a mixed speech sound disorder. So Mm -hmm. it's not always just our tick or just phonology or just motor speech they often, there's an interplay. And so that's why it's sometimes hard to say, this is what this child has as a differential diagnosis, but rather this is a speech sound disorder. And these are the characteristics that this child presents with. Mm -hmm. And then let's select what part, what aspect of their speech sound disorder um, needs to be treated more, you know, does it need to be treated more from a motor perspective or more, more from a phonological perspective? And you can integrate all different kinds, aspects of those kinds of interventions in order to give that child the most effective therapy right. uh, that you can. And so it's sometimes it's not a, as it's, there is an aspect of differential diagnosis. Cause I want to know, you know, what's what's the, what's the bottom line here. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of it is because of, I want to, I want to choose the correct approach right. um, to make sure I'm picking, I'm, I'm actually being effective with this child. Um, and so I, that's another thing I wanted to mention too, about that came into my head about differential diagnosis when it comes to assessment is sometimes I'll see reports where it's just, I'm just going to, you know, they, we just list the phonemes that the child is missing or substituting as opposed to looking at the bigger picture of, are there any patterns going on here? What phonological patterns are going on? Right. And so I think that sometimes you don't always have to have like a phonological analysis, a very official, um, you know, like Con Lewis or even the deep, but I, I use I use those tools, but you can go through those one word artic tests and just I, I always do it myself actually. Mm-hmm. I want to go through and I want to analyze each word myself so that I can see um, are there any consistent patterns? Are they always dropping off one phoneme of a cluster? Right. Are they always omitting final consonants? Because sometimes, you know, if you say, well, they have D and T, that doesn't give you the biggest picture, the you know, a bigger picture of what actually is going on. So I think really analyzing and understanding what phonological patterns mm-hmm. the child may represent with is or present with is really, really important too. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe you guys have had different experiences, but I feel like people kind of rule out phonology the older the student is, right? Because they just associate that with um, like preschool age, kindergarten, maybe first yeah. grade, and then they kind of drop it off because they assume that 
you know, those phonological processes should be eliminated by now. Do you guys see that also? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel the same way. And I, I also feel like sometimes it's, it's just about like identifying what speech sounds they're missing. And that's like the quick and easy way just to qualify. Like, okay, they qualify, they're missing X, Y, and Z sounds. Right. So then you start with those sounds, but then later you realize, wow, there's this huge motor component to it, or there's a weakness also, oral motor weakness also. And there's all these things that, like we were saying before, we might've missed. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately that might be partly just to do due to caseload sizes and not having enough time to look at what we need to look at. And my heart goes out to SLPs in the schools. I have been there. I know what it's like. I've worked in some amazing schools. I worked Mm -hmm. in some terrible ones. (laughs) And usually it's the terrible ones. It's it's not because of, you know, the kids or the families. It's because of the lack of support that you get from your administrators. So I completely understand and my heart goes out to them. But if we can spend a little extra time during Mm -hmm. assessment and choose a more effective intervention approach if we really understand the nature of the child's disorder, then Mm -hmm. those kids, hopefully, (laughs) those kids are going to be off your caseload faster. Faster. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So in the long run. Yeah. Because if you're, you know, if you're, I think we're so tempted to do that artic style. Okay. Here, like you said, here are the letters or the sounds the child is not producing. So let's work on that letter in isolation and syllable and word. And then you're spending all this time on this one sound. Right. And then without addressing the bigger picture of the child's phonological disorder or deficit. So, yeah. And I think too, um, to your point about the older kids, sometimes I'll have older kids with obvious, like second, even third graders with obvious phonological deficits, just Mm -hmm. because they weren't really treated effectively at the beginning. Yeah, Yeah, it was missed. And so it is, it can be (laughs) phonological, but then the problem once they get older is it's so habituated motorically that it's like you have both things to deal with now. Mm -hmm. So again, another plug for effective intervention early. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I guess going off of that, can you touch a little bit on how you would just differentiate the treatment then for articulation, phonology, and apraxia? And I know maybe especially on apraxia, because that's something that SLPs that don't have a lot of experience with or CFs feel very intimidated by. I know. And it's, it, it can be simplified. Like it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a very rare um, speech sound disorder. Mm-hmm. And when you compare it to the other speech sound disorders, so you're going to get a lot of our tick kids with those R's and S's. You're going to get a lot of phonological kids with those consistent patterns, but you won't get nearly as many kids with apraxia. So you're not going to have as much experience, especially if you're a generalist and you're working in the schools. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to differentiate, but I would say the three, um, those three key features of CAS, it's important to remember first of all, is inconsistent errors on repeated productions. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that they're inconsistent in general, it's that if you give them a a word or you kind of tax their their motor speech system by giving them words to repeat to you Mm -hmm. in increased length and complexity, you're gonna see some inconsistent errors as they repeat those words four times, five times. So that's where you're gonna see the inconsistency. And then you're gonna hear this, this equal or inappropriate stress on, so they kind of sound a little bit robotic sometimes mm-hmm. or just inappropriate, yeah, inappropriate prosody. And then the reason that that is, is because there's lengthened or disrupted, uh, what we call disrupted co-articulatory transitions between mm-hmm. sounds because it's a mm-hmm. movement disorder and they have trouble moving 
movement from one sound to the next sound to the next syllable. Right. And so that's where you hear those big errors. And there are other, you know, signs and, and features of CAS, uh -huh. but those are kind of like the three key features. So if you're seeing something like that, then you really, in order to differentially diagnose apraxia from those other speech sound disorders, mm -hmm. you have to understand how to administer what's called a dynamic motor speech assessment. Um, and it's dynamic because you are probing the child and you're giving them cues and prompts to see if you can improve their accuracy. And so it's not just, you know, we're so used to when we do an assessment, you don't tell them it's, if it's no right prompts. or wrong. Right. right. Mm -hmm. No prompts, nothing. Very different with a dynamic motor speech assessment. Mm -hmm. um, you're probing them to see, okay, you said that word a little different. Now watch me. I'm going to say it slow. Look, my lips went together for the M sound. Let's see if you can say it like me. And then you have them do those repeated productions to see if that helps. And you're constant. And then you're kind of taking note of all of those features as the child. Um, produces those repeated productions. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you, like I said, as you get longer, because you'll find out some kids, man, they, they're awesome at CVC level, mm -hmm. like they're on, on target. And then you start going to reduplicated syllables and then you start changing the vowels in those syllables. And it's like, whoa, they're falling apart. Right. They can't be consistent. And so that's really how you differentiate apraxia. That's kind of the bottom line from other speech sound mm -hmm. disorders. Listen, that's my kind of assessment because I hate like on language ones where they need the prompt again, or they're fe feeling like confused or overwhelmed and you can't do anything, but just like, mm, try your best. <laughs> it's the worst. That's why the it? self yeah. is so awful because it's brutal I know. to get so many wrong. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I hate those ceiling. Oh gosh. Right. Those yeah. Limitations. Those are brutal. It's awful. <laughs> so what about something I know we see less often, and I, I'm not sure if you have any kids on your caseload right now. Um, cause I know it's not seen as much in children, but dysarthria, um, mm -hmm. how that would kind of compare to the other speech sound disorders and how you would differentiate that. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of similarities among the speech sound disorders, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are kids who are just hard to understand. Right. Um, but the, again, for dysarthria, those oral motor exams will give you a lot of information because that's where you're gonna start seeing weakness um, in the articulators. So if there is a general overall weakness or a spastic or a low tone, you know, all those kinds of things that you're like, hmm, I wonder if this could be contributing to why they're having trouble right. with oral speech. Mm -hmm. um, so those, that's where the, again, the oral met comes in, in handy and just really gives you a lot of information. Um, case histories too, as far as, you know, are, were there, are there any other diagnoses going on? Because um, when you see kids with cerebral palsy, it's a big percentage of those kids that will have dysarthria. Um, even kids with Downs, you know, there's, I, I, I forget what the percentage is, but there's a good percentage of kids with Down syndrome um, with dysarthria as well. And really what you're seeing that differentiates those from other kids or other types of SSDs are imprecise. Um, there might be a different kind of vocal quality, a breathy vocal quality, a hoarse mm -hmm. vocal quality. Um, there could be some nasality issues if they're, you know, if, if they're having a weakness or there's something wrong with like um, control of the velum or if there's a physical, you know, anomaly there too. So it's all these aspects. It's not just like the sounds, it's what else, there are other things that you're going to hear too, as, as far as dysarthria goes. So vocal quality, nasality, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so that's how you kind of differentiate that. And really, I, 
off, I rarely actually see kids with just dysarthria. Sometimes there's uh, many times, actually, I will see kids with apraxia who also have a dysarthric aspect to their speech mm -hmm. as well. Like there is some kind of weakness there in addition to the motor planning deficits. Mm -hmm. I'll see kids or I'll see kids with an obvious dysarthria if I have a child with cerebral palsy and, but they also have phonological delay, right? Nice. So it's like, you're, you're kind of treating it all. And right. so it's important to, to note like what is impacting that child's intelligibility the most? Is it right. Phonological aspect, or is it the weakness aspect? Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm curious, just because I don't, again, I don't see as many children with dysarthria, but um, how is treatment different than for a child with dysarthria? Just and, curious. Um, just just full disclosure, I don't see nearly as many kids with dysarthria. That's okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. And I think it's the nature of um, those often they are more um, medically complex and right. so, so they very frequently go through their insurance and I'm private mm -hmm. pay. So I think yeah. that's, that's Part why, yeah. um, but typically when I do have kids where I do also note a dysarthria, I need to, I know I'm going to need to focus on um, some compensatory strategies and very often that is rate of speech and mm -hmm. loudness, volume right. control. Yeah. So those are kind of the two things that really I need to focus on mm -hmm. um, in addition to whatever else they're presenting with. Like if right. a child with dysarthria is presenting with a phonological delay, I'm going to treat that phonological delay the same way as I would with any other child. Right. So it's just knowing what aspects um, of their specific disorder do I need to address and to what degree. Okay, great. So I know you just touched on um, like dual diagnoses. How frequently would you say you see that? Oh, that's a great question. I would say, I mean, just off the top of my head, I have maybe like 20 kids right now that I'm seeing at my practice. Mm -hmm. I would say maybe f uh, half. <laughs> okay. Um, and many of, most of the time it is these um, articulatory distortions like lateral lisps or lisps or mm -hmm. um, just trouble with R in addition to ph phonology and or, and or apraxia. So th those are the, those, that's what I tend to see the most of, I would say. Which is way yeah. higher than I would have expected. Honestly, yeah. I, think, like, I know it's, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah so that's the re Oh, sorry. Uh -huh. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the reason that I ask is, so I work in a um, public elementary school that also has three self-contained rooms. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to say I always, but I feel like more often than not, I'm seeing our tick and phone together, um, especially in those self-contained rooms. So I just wondered Interesting. what that looked like. Yeah. And your That's case. probably what I see the most of, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I just got a question today from somebody on Instagram asking Alyssa, how do I know what to address first? How do I tackle all this? There's so much right. going on. And my default setting is almost always let's tackle phonology first yeah. because that's going to have the greatest impact on intelligibility. Um, and it will just improve their ability to be understood and communicate so much faster it, unless they're relatively stimulable for, you know, a correct production of that particular, you know, phonetic aspect of that sound that they're having trouble with. Um, some kids are, some kids, all you have to say is, you know, you just have to keep your tongue behind your teeth for that sound. Can you try it? And they got it like, Oh, right. okay. Then that's how we're going to practice it. Mm -hmm. And some kids, especially like, like with lateral lispers, it's just not, it's, it's too much. Right. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if they're already, you know, if they're reducing S clusters or they're stopping S, I'm still going to eliminate that phonological pattern. And then we can dress the, uh, the distortion of the lateral production later down the road. Right. 
Yeah. How frequently, okay, sorry. I have another question because you have my <laughs> wheels spinning. How frequently would you say you see initial consonant deletion? Mm. Um, not super frequently, it's, mm-hmm. but when I do that usually is a, a prognostic indicator that we're going to probably be spending a little more time in therapy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the reason that I ask is because yeah. I have, um, so Claire and I both also own our own private practices. And, um, one of the children that I see through my private practice is definitely exhibiting that. And that's like a very tough yeah. <laughs> approach, you know, mm-hmm. like treatment. So I was just curious. I've never had any kid do that. So yeah, I wouldn't mm-hmm. even know kind of yeah. where to start with that. It's a tricky, it's a tricky one. Um, and there's, there's lots of great intervention strategies for that. Like I love multiple oppositions because you can mm-hmm. work on different phonemes at the same time, mm-hmm. but you're addressing that initial placement or that initial position of the word rather. Um, so, or even the cycles approach, like there's some great phonological mm-hmm. interventions where you can address that, but it's super tricky. And I I tell parents like, this is not a typical developmental pattern that yeah. you know, most right. kids go through. You know, you hear lots of three-year-olds gliding their L's or R's, that's okay, right. not a big deal. But you don't hear a lot of kids completely omitting the first consonant. So mm-hmm. it, I, I I have to, you know, you have to tell parents too, like, this is probably going to take a little bit longer (laughs) to address because it's more indicative of a more severe um, speech sound disorder as is backing. I'll get backing sometimes too. And I'll think, oh boy, (laughs) we're going to be in the long haul here for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So I have to butt in with that and ask you, because I have a child on my caseload right now that backs and it, it blows my mind. It truly does because he started Um, when I first started seeing him, he was fronting and then it turned into backing. And I am just like, it's just blowing my mind a little bit. And I feel so bad for him because he thinks he's doing it right. I think. And it's, it's almost like it overgeneralized. And I don't even know if that's the reason I think there might be something deeper. I don't know. A couple times where I've had something similar, it's either like an overgeneralization, like Mm -hmm. with, if I'm doing the cycles approach that tends to happen Mm -hmm. uh, because we've spent 60 minutes on this one phoneme in this one position of the word. And so they tend to like overgeneralize that everywhere. And so that, you know, you have to kind of unteach, nope, this week we're doing this sound. Right. Um, But sometimes it's, if you look more in depth, it can even be an assimilation where Mm. like, oh, look at the other phonemes in the word. Is there something Mm -hmm. that's causing that child to overgeneralize or, or just to, you know, put, put a back sound where the front sound should be? Is there, are there alveolar and alveolar in that same word? And is that the reason why that can sometimes be it too. Right. Um, But in general, if a child is like backing consistently, that can be that's a tricky one for it's sure. Hard. Yeah. It's a hard <laughs> one. It's the first time I've encountered it as well. So I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> pull it out all the I'll tricks. Say one thing it. that's helped some of my more stubborn backers mm-hmm. is to use nonsense syllables mm-hmm. um, because it almost frees their mind of, of I the- always have to use this back sound. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, you know, we just do lots of tactile input where let's stick at your tongue tip. Now put mm-hmm. it, you know, match that spot behind your teeth where Mrs. Graham touched with the, you know, the swizzle yeah. stick. Yeah. And then we'll just do that, 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 that. And we'll like uh-huh. maybe bounce the car down the road, that, that, uh-huh. that, that, just so yeah. they can get used to feeling like, right. because it's not a, it's not a, um, almost never, um, it, that they can't move their tongue that way. It's just mm-hmm. that they don't move it that way for that sound in their it, mind. They don't realize right. the habit is so strong and exactly. the opposite way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Thank you. I, I was just going to say, thank you for being our personal uh, mentor right now. <laughs> um, so Amy, for you, how has, um, therapy been going over telepractice? I assume you are still a hundred percent over telepractice or are you seeing anybody in person now? Actually over this summer, we were able to, I was able to give the parents the um, option. Oh, great. So, yeah. It has been really great. I've had some parents who they have medically fragile kids. And so mm-hmm they stay home and we've continued, or they have siblings who are, um, you know, medically complex. And Mm -hmm. so they have chosen to remain in telepractice. Mm -hmm. And I, I will say it's never something I would have thought that I would have enjoyed. (laughs) And, but with many kids with SSDs, telepractice has been incredibly effective. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I have adjusted well, and I think I'm going to keep it as part of my practice for those parents who prefer it. Mm -hmm. Um, been, it's been a great option. I will say though, for some kids, it's super hard. Like my S kids, if we were working on those, you know, high frequency, you know, as, as far as, um, you know, where it falls on that speech banana, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, right. those are hard to hear and they're easily distorted. Right. So it's, it's still not ideal. Um, but for some kids, for some of my kids, even with apraxia and phonology, it's been a great option. Yeah. I love it. I think it's here to stay for most everyone. Um, I think we'll probably be a little bit remote always now, which is, I, I love it too. For some kids, I agree. Others are not able to, um, but you know, it's a great option, especially to provide therapy. We've found, um, to people outside of where we usually would be able to see them people outside of our town, um, that we can still see that are in our state, well, but that wouldn't had, make the drive. Exactly. And I've had kids who have moved to a different town that it would yeah. cost, you know, it, it would be two hours away for them, but you know, we can still do it because, right. you Which know, I already, and, and I already have the rapport with the child. So right. we know each other well, and yeah. it's just been a smooth transition for those kinds of cases for sure. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I also feel like since everyone was kind of like forced into it in the beginning, right? Like last March and April that now they know, you know, yes, it does work or it doesn't work. And Maybe they wouldn't have considered that before, but now that they see, you know, they are still making progress in those gains that they are more open to it. I I was one of those people. I would never have considered it before uh, March of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess, so just to wrap up, what advice would you have or be able to give to SLPs for both treating and um, differentiating between the different speech sound disorders? I think a thorough assessment, regardless of, you know, what you think, you know, about the child, just from listening to them, um, make sure you're getting that a good, I would say too, in addition to like that oral facial exam, get a good case history. There are so many things I would, I think that pop up on a case history, as far as a child's, um, eating and feeding history. If they've got a lisp and they were messy eaters and they have a tongue thrust and they, you know, have a lot, maybe they had some regurgitation when they were, I mean, there's so Mm -hmm. many different things that can pop up on that case history that can kind of direct you even in your assessment, like, Oh, maybe I need to really dig a little bit deeper, um, into maybe feeding and tongue thrust. Maybe that's what's Mm -hmm. going on with this little one. Um, and there's all kinds of things I even have on my case history, some red flags for, childhood apraxia of speech, when you look at a child's early language development, like Mm -hmm. if they didn't babble very much when they were, if they were quiet infants, those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. and you're suspecting apraxia, then definitely, if you see those on the case history, do a dynamic motor speech assessment Mm -hmm. to, to at least rule it out. 
Um, so definitely getting, getting a case history, doing your phonological analysis, um, and then looking at, I would say for speech sound disorders specifically, really dig deeper if you have a child who you seems like they did really well on the Arctic assessment, but they're unintelligible in connected speech, or they're just, you're like, man, there's something else going on. Mm -hmm. Look at polysyllabic words um, to see if there's anything that jumps out because I've had some kids where they do great, they score just fine, but then, you know, those Arctic tests don't have very many polysyllabic words. Mm -hmm. And so when you, you know, probe those, that's where you see, ah, that's where we're falling apart. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. Um, so those are just some of the things that I would um, recommend as far as just always, always include in your assessment mm -hmm. if you can. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. We appreciate all that you I gave know. us, especially on our specific cases. Sorry, we kind of <laughs> strayed away from our conversation a little bit, but um, we really appreciate it. You seriously have given so much to the speech world, especially through like your daily talks, answering those questions. I always watch it. Questions of the day. Yeah, yes, I, I greatly appreciate it. Even if it doesn't pertain to someone on my caseload, it's very informative and it's been great. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for having Bye. me. Hey guys, before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to let you know that speechtherapypd.com is hosting a teletherapy reboot called Navigating a New Era. And it's a virtual conference that will take place on March 28th, 2021. The best part is you can earn 0.7 free ASHA CEUs, which includes ASHA reporting. And I'm going to give you the three different sessions that they're going to go over just to give you something to look forward to. So the first session is called teletherapy, looking back and looking forward. And they're going to cover the insights and challenges of teletherapy. The second session is called mental health, how to survive and thrive. And they're going to cover the social and emotional well-being of the professional parents, and the child. And the third session is called Filling the Gap, Bridging Cultural Competence to the SLP. And they're going to cover how we increase diversity into the field and bring cultural awareness into our practice. If you need more information or want the link to sign up, make sure you visit the link in our bio. Thanks, guys. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.